Hey, I'm Bailey. I'm Michael. And welcome back to Facing the Gates podcast. Uh, as usual with these interviews, David is slacking off somewhere. Apparently he had chores to do or something. Some garbage excuse like that. Yeah. he's uh, So he's not here. But who is here is Pastor Kenny Murphy, who is uh, the pastor of Mercy. Mercy. Is it Mercy Pentecostal or just Mercy? Mercy Church. Okay, gotcha. So um, we're going to be interviewing him about being a pastor and uh, the usual. The same questions we're asking everybody, basically. So how did you end up as a pastor? Well, I got saved when I was 16. Um, I started going uh, to a church down in in Langley, South Mm -hmm. Carolina, and uh, it was a church of God. And uh, my grandfather had been a pastor. Um, he probably pastored 30 years. He was a minister for 50 years. And uh, he retired and uh, moved beside us. Um, my dad uh, sold him a piece of land, and, and um, his youngest son built him a house. And so uh, him and my grandmother moved beside us, and he became like the associate pastor down there and, and uh, had invited us to come down. Uh, my mom went down there and got saved. And then she, um, of course, she took me. And uh, about two weeks later, um, I got saved in a service on a Sunday night. And um, I just started going to church, started reading the Bible. Um, Him living beside us, uh, he was a man of God. He uh, prayed. Um, One day I was in the backyard dribbling a basketball and I and uh, I just recently realized this. As I was dribbling that basketball, I got to a certain um, spot in the yard, and I felt um, I felt like something in my life wasn't right. Felt like um, I needed to get get my heart right with the Lord, and didn't really even understand what that meant. I felt under conviction, not condemnation, but conviction mm-hmm. of the Holy Spirit, and um, didn't really realize even years later until just I would say two or three months ago the Lord revealed to me what happened uh, in that backyard Um, he showed me my grandfather there was a path that he would take through our yard from his Mm -hmm. yard to our yard and um, and uh, I know that he had been praying because he had told us that he was standing out by you know our trash can Um, we shared the same trash can and he would dump his trash in there and he would see things in there that, you know, um, that concerned him and he got to praying and he would stand there and pray and cry. And then on, then he would walk back to his house and it, and I, I'm telling you, I felt the Lord when he impressed on me that I had walked through the path of a praying man. And right there when I was 15, I wasn't even going to church at that time. Mm-hmm. I got under conviction by the Holy spirit then I started going to church, and then then I gave my heart to the Lord at 16. Well, over the years, you know, I just started drawing closer to God, and I got so close to God, and I started praying for His will. And I remember at 18 years old, I said, God, I said, what do you want me to do? What's your will for me? And, um, and all of a sudden, I remember seeing myself sitting in the back of my grandfather's back seat of his car. I had been to church with him when I was nine years old. And I asked him, I said, same question you're asking me. I said, Granddaddy, why did you ever become a pastor? And he looked at me. He gave me a simple answer. He looked at me in the rearview mirror and said, Son, he says, 
God called me to preach, he said, and for me, I had no choice. And so when I was 18 and I'm on my knees in my bedroom praying, asking God, what do you want me to do? All of a sudden, I saw myself sitting in his back seat all over again. And I remember what he said to me, and it, it frightened me, and I got up off my knees, and I told God, I said, God, never mind. I don't want to know because I thought he might call me to be a pastor and not call me to preach. Mm-hmm. And I, I actually said, never mind, God, I don't want to know. Open my eyes because the last thing I wanted to do was get in front of people, speak, preach. You know, that that was not my will. That was not the <laughs> not course that I to wanted to take. Uh-huh. And so I really couldn't get any closer to God because I was afraid to ask him his will. And so I, I kept going to church and um, finally went through a lot of things. And finally, when I was 30 years old, I um, I finally got to the place that I prayed that prayer again. And I said, God, you know, I've got to find out what you want for me to do. And I said, and whatever it is, I'll do it. And um, I, I felt him drawing me that way. But I laid out a fleece and I said, God, and I tried to think of something that I thought would never happen. And uh, and uh, when I thought of it, I kind of even laughed. I said, yeah, that won't never happen. And so um, the very next service in church service, I, I played the drums. I was sitting on the drums. The pastor of that church came up to me and what I had asked, he came up to me and and just dropped it in my lap. And I mean, it was, it blew my mind because just like I had asked it, the fleece, you know, I said, God, I said, if you want me to preach, let him ask me to speak. Let him ask me to preach. That's what I said. Let him ask me to preach. And, uh, I said, that will never happen because the only thing I had ever done with him was play golf and, um, and hunt. And, uh, you know, we were, we were friends. We were buddies. He was a lot older than me, but but uh, he come up to me that very next service and asked me to speak. And I even tried to look for a loophole. I said, God, I said, preach. And he said, speak. And uh, so uh, I spoke at this uh, service he had asked me to. It was not a church service. It was a youth service um, in a family life center. And when I, I spoke to the youth, he came up to me after that service. And he said, son, he said, I want you to preach that same message Sunday night. And um, I couldn't find a loophole. And so I did. I was nervous. I preached. And after I preached that one time, I said, I'll never do that again. I'm not going to torment myself like that ever again. The next day, God started giving me a message, started burning a, a message in my heart because I had been in the Word of God, been reading for years. And um, nothing like that had ever happened. But time I said I'd never do that. The very next day, the Lord started giving me a message. And then, oh my goodness, uh, five weeks, this message was burning in my heart. And I remember it was never give up. That was the title of the message, never give up. And uh, I remember uh, I remember uh, that Wednesday night, well, probably about that Monday, I said, I called him up. I said, Pastor, I'm, 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 I'm miserable. He said, son, what's wrong? I said, I feel like the Lord's giving me a message. And uh, he started laughing. He said, Wednesday night, you got it. And uh, so I preached that Wednesday night, and the lady come up to me after service, and she said, you preached that message just for me? And I said, I said, what do you mean? And she says, I had give up. 
She said, my husband had died with cancer. I got two young children. She said, and I, I got dressed and then I, I got undressed and I said, God, I'm not, I'm not going to church. God said, get dressed, go one more time. And she said, so I said, okay. She said, I put my, my dress back on, went to church. You preach, never give up. And it has just convicted my heart. It has, it has, you know, just touched my heart in such a, a mighty way. And, and, um, she's still going to church day and that's been over 26 years ago. And I'm not taking the glory for that because God gave me the message and knew exactly how long it would take for me to get miserable for me to be able to call the pastor. And then he gave it to me that Wednesday night. And that was the same night, exact same time she was at quit. I'm not going back. And God said, no, I'll go one more time. And so God works in mysterious ways. And, and so that's, that's pretty much how I did it. And so, um, I, after the second time I said, I'm not preaching no more. And I did that for about the first 10 times. And then finally I said, okay, God, I said, if this is what you want me to do, then I'll do it. I was 30 and now I'm 56, been preaching for 26 years. And, and, uh, so you asked me, I'm looking at this question. How do you, how'd you end up being a pastor? And I, and I, and I still, it just still blows my mind because it was not on my radar. It was nothing I wanted to do. I would not take this on as an occupation. You have to be called of God. I believe, I believe, I feel that way. That's quite the story. Oh, yeah. It's very interesting. Which, it's f <clears throat> the first interview we did with Pastor Mark. Pastor Mark. Oh, parallels a little, mm -hmm. because... I think both Pastor Mark and Pastor Trent alluded to a greater story, but they didn't yeah. tell but, the whole thing, which, I mean, it's fine. You know, they're just trying to yeah. be brief, but it's good to, I think, hear that story because a lot of people, like, they do have, like, kind of this supernatural calling in a way mm -hmm. and a lot of times, and it's not always just, like, a career choice, you know? Yeah. Later so, on in years, I asked my grandfather because he was still alive when I started preaching. Mm -hmm. And I said, Granddaddy, how'd you really know you was called to preach? And he looked at me and he said, son, he says, uh, I simply couldn't get away from it. And that story I just told you, mm -hmm. I couldn't get away from it. I tried to. I said, I'm not going to do this anymore. And for the first 10 times, I was going, mm -hmm, I'm not going to do it. And I, I couldn't. And I knew I couldn't. And so... I finally accepted the will of God, the calling on my life. And so uh, gotcha. pretty much parallels 50 years later. I mean, he's, he was 51 years older than me. Wow. All right. Well, I guess for the next question, um, it's not, it's not going to follow up that answer very well, but so let's say, um, We've been talking in previous episodes about beliefs, reasons to believe, reason to disbelieve, and kind of playing those ideas out. Um, so let's say we have somebody that believes in Christianity, mm -hmm. hypothetically, um, but they're they're wondering where the place of church falls in with that. Why, if they believe all the right things, what is the purpose of going to church, and where does church fit in, basically? Well, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, it says to forsake not the assembling together of ourselves. <clears throat> the Bible said is the manner of to come as, you know, but exhorting one another 
and so much more as you see the day approaching. And when he says the day approaching, he's talking about the coming of the Lord. Um, this is one thing I, I understand. The enemy will, will try to isolate you. And when I say enemy, I'm talking about the devil. Uh, he did Jesus in the wilderness. and But Jesus was too full of the word for the devil to be able to, you know, win the battle there. And uh, and so uh, he will try to isolate you. He will try to get you alone. And, um, and church family is a body of believers. And, and you, you build your faith. The Bible said faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Well, when you go to church, you're going to hear the word of God preached. If not, then I would look for a, a, a Bible-based church, one that does preach the word and get in that one. And um, but, but there's something about believers. There's something about encouraging one another uh, community. It's, uh, that's why, why I would say go to church because, um, you know, um, let church be your excuse um, to miss everything else. Don't let everything else be your excuse to miss church. Gotcha. All right. And following up with that question, what is the itinerary for your average church service here? Well, we come together uh, since COVID. We, uh, we've gone to two services to try to spread the people out. Um, we have a 9 o'clock service. We have a, an 11 o'clock service. We try to make them um, identical. Of course, when the Spirit of God gets in there, then, you know, we start off with a plan. Mm -hmm. But then we let, we let the Spirit of God, if He so desires to take it, uh, different route but we uh we have an order of service we we normally get up and start with an opener of praise and worship and then we have a um a time of um an announcements you know because we have a lot going on around here and uh so we we have an announcements we let people know what's going on what's coming up in the near future and uh we try to run uh, the announcements probably about three weeks and then we uh drop them off and then go to the next ones or three weeks prior to the event mm -hmm. that's coming up. And then, um, and then I come up and, um, uh, take up the offering, which, you know, we have different ways to give, um, online giving, but for those that still want to give here, you know, uh, instead of taking up offering, uh, with the plates like we used to, we've got two, uh, offering boxes, drop boxes, that people can just drop their tithe and offering in. And then our guys, you know, get it at the end of services. And, uh, but we do that. I pray, I get up and I pray over that, um, the tithe and offering because it's an act of worship also. And then we go back into praise and worship, probably, um, 20 minutes of that. Um, and then, um, after that, I come up, exhort the people. And then I, I go into, uh, the word of God. I read a text, uh, pray, and then I preach a word, and then after I preach, I give an altar call invitation okay. for you know different things, salvation, <clears throat> healing, deliverance. Just you know, you need you need some something from the Lord. You want prayer, and so then um, then after that, then I usually uh, in you know with a with a prayer, I I usually bless the people, and um, so that's. That's the itinerary. Gotcha. It's usually about an hour, hour and 15, hour and a half okay. on Sunday mornings, each service. 
Mm-hmm. Now, I I know that some Pentecostal churches don't have a schedule like at all. Yeah, is that is that true? Like, to their I, I well, I take, I, mean, I take it that's not you guys. But. Well, I mean, I have I have been in some that's like that, and um, you know, I mean, I can't speak for other churches because I mean, um, I hadn't went and preached in another church in probably over a year, especially during COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have been in some that uh, that don't have as much structure. You know, and then sometimes uh, it could be downtime or, and, you know, to me, it feels sometimes awkward. It's funny you ask that because I just preached a message this week on um, um, Ezekiel's dry bones and the bones were laying there scattered and bones represent structure. Right. And when he prophesied to the bones, they came together and the structure was there. Mm Mm-hmm. And then after they were structured, he prophesied to the wind, which represents the spirit. And when the spirit got involved, then it came alive, and it was a great army. So I, I was preaching to the congregation this week, and I said, listen, I said, uh, I said, we've got to have structure. We don't just get up here and wing it and just hope the Holy Spirit does something. We start off with a structure, and then we wait. We want the wind to blow on the structure. And then he can take it any kind of way he wants. Just like last week, we started off at 9 o'clock. And uh, I'm telling you, the service went right into the second service at 11 o'clock. It was about a two-hour service. Wow. We didn't structure it that way. Right. It just, that's the way it went. And it was a, it was a solemn assembly. Uh, it was just, uh, it's, it's always good when God gets involved. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm talking about when the Spirit moves. But, you know, we, we start off and we, um, with, with an itinerary, but if he wants to change it, we give him free will to do that. And then we try to follow the leading. Gotcha. Alrighty. And to follow that up in your community that we're in, what is the place of the church in the community that well, you serve? Well, I would say Mercy Church is both a place where anyone can find God's grace and mercy by experiencing the power and the presence of God. Um, And God will meet the needs of anyone who is willing to give their life to Him. You know, um, um, we're here for people, you know, for for all people. And uh, we want to be a part of the community, outreach. Sometimes we go downtown and um, we uh, give food out and we preach a gospel message and um, try to meet the needs of people that way. Um, but but we want to be a church. I mean, our, our vision is to love God first, then love people and serve others. I mean, the Bible tells us Jesus broke down the Ten Commandments into two and he said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he said, the second one is just as important as the first one, love your neighbor as yourself. And so we need to show the love of God. You know, we need to love God first. That's first and foremost. And then we need to love people and then show the love of God by serving them, you know. And so that's what we want to be. We want to be we want to be a beacon of light to the city of Aiken, to this community. Gotcha. 
So how is your church governed? Well, um, we are uh, a denomination, Church of God, and our, our home base is in Cleveland, Tennessee. And so we have, that's the international office. And our church is um, in 188 countries. Uh, but it's, it's governed, uh, we have an, you know, a general overseer. And then we have a first, second, and third assistant uh, general secretary. We have a council of 18. That's on the national level. Then, then we have uh, what we call administrative bishops in each state in the United States. I'm not real sure how it works. I think it works about the same way in other countries. But we have an uh, administrative bishop here in South Carolina. It's based in Malden, South Carolina. He has a council of 12. And, um, of course, then we have um, a council here in our church of 12. And um, and so uh, that's pretty much how it's governed. Um, we have membership, you know, and uh, we bring things, major uh, expenditures before, you know, the body to um, to see if it's, I bring it before the council first. If they approve it, you know, then we take it to the body and um, things, you know, go from there. You know, we give them a voice. Gotcha. You know. So you report to the bishop, and the bishop reports to the, the head of the whole thing, yeah. basically. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. And, and uh, well, it even breaks down even more. We have bishop, then we have district overseers, which I happen to be a district overseer. Okay. On this district, there are eight other churches under this church. I, I, I say under this church. I just happen to be... This happens to be the district church, so I became the district overseer. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. And so that, that's how it kind of umbrellas down like that. Gotcha. Okay. Well, um, <clears throat> if there's anything Pentecostals are known for, I think it's speaking in tongues. So can you explain what exactly is going on when someone is speaking in tongues in a church service? Well, and that's the... That's that's a big question. I mean, um, we believe in Pentecost because the Bible talks about uh, in Acts chapter two. It's uh, and Pentecost actually means fifty, mm-hmm. the number fifty, right? Which is fifty days after the Passover. And uh, so, uh, Jesus, when he got ready to leave the mountain, there was five hundred Galileans standing there, forty days, because the Bible said he showed himself many infallible proofs for forty days. And then he ascended into the heavens. Well, when he was standing there, he told them in Acts 1 and 8, he told them to go to Jerusalem, or Acts 1 and 4, starts in Acts 1 and 4, go to Jerusalem and tarry till you be endued with power from on high. And um, they said, some of the disciples said, are you going to set up your kingdom at this time? He said, that, that's not for you to know. And he says, um, he says, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost comes on you. And, uh, and of course, he promised it in um, Luke 24, you know. Uh, he says, um, Luke 24, 49, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. That's Luke 24 and in Acts 1 and 8. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit come on you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, is for you to be a witness. 
It gives you the power to be a witness. And I'm telling you, I couldn't stand before my people and preach or before anybody and preach without the Spirit of God. In, in nature, I was a shy, just natural. I was a shy guy. Mm-hmm. But when I'm standing up there on Sunday morning, I'm not. And it's because of the power of the Holy Ghost gives me that power to be a witness. Well, and so they went to Jerusalem. And 120 of them did. 380, I don't know where they went, but 120 went to the upper room in Jerusalem. And they prayed, got one mind, one accord. And on the 50th day, the Bible said, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a mighty rushing wind, filled all the room where they were sitting, lit upon all of them as cloven tongues of fire, forked tongues of fire lit upon all of them. They were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. And there were other nations in town that day. I mean, you can read it right there in Acts chapter 2. There was many different tongues there. And they said, what means, what meaneth, this is King James Version, right. what meaneth this? What does this mean, they were saying? Yeah. How we hear all these Galileans speak in our own language. How is this? And then some of them mocked and said, hey, these people are drunk. It's only the ninth hour or the third hour of the day, nine o'clock in the morning, and they're already drunk. And that's when Peter spoke up and he said, this is not that as you suppose. These men are not drunk, but this is that as the prophet Joel spake about as he prophesied and said, in the last days, God's going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And so they started speaking in other tongues and other dialects. I mean, they were, you know, they could understand them. Well, uh, if you read the Bible, you'll find out that tongues, there, there is other tongues, which other languages uh, that people can understand. Also, there, there are uh, interpretations. You know, the mm-hmm. Bible talks about an interpretation, like somebody speaking tongues and then someone will, will interpret it. And then there's um, a prayer language because the Bible said that the Spirit of God will make intercession and will make groans, you know. So it's a prayer language. And so there's, you know, you just, I guess you have to be in a service it's hard to explain sitting on the outside looking in. Yeah. You have to really get in there. And some sometimes when people are in there, it, it could frighten them. I mean, it really could. Uh, but that's when, you know, pastor probably needs to stand up. And, and I have from time to time, sometimes I just take for granted everybody knows what's going on because I've been in the Church of God for 40 years. Right. But sometimes I get up and say, if you don't understand there was a tongue, and then there was an interpretation, and this is the gifts of the Spirit. Because the Bible talks about this. There's a, a gift of tongues, gift of an interpretation of tongues, gift of prophecy, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, discernment of the Spirit, faith, healing, miracles. And, and we see these, and there are nine gifts there that I just said of mm-hmm. the Spirit. But uh, speaking in tongues seems sometimes to... Um, frighten some but but i I've, I've watched it in all all the different tongues i just told you about um we believe it's the initial evidence of the baptism of the holy ghost being filled being baptized 
with the with the Spirit of God. And the reason we believe that is because it's found in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 10, when Peter went to Cornelius' house, and as he preached the word, they were filled with the Holy Ghost, and the Bible said, and they spoke with other tongues. And then in Acts chapter 19, when Paul went to a group, and he said, have you received the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit since you first believed? In other words, since you first got saved. And they said, we don't even know if there be a, a Holy Ghost or a Holy Spirit. And he, and he laid hands on them, and they received the Spirit, and they spoke in tongues. So it's three different uh, times you see Acts 2, Acts 10, Acts 19 that they received the Holy Ghost and they spoke in tongues. And so, I mean, I, I don't know what else you're looking for, but... Um, no, that's all right. That's basically, that's what it's based on. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe people just don't, aren't, maybe people aren't familiar with that yes. in Acts or... It, I guess it's it's a uniquely Pentecostal thing, it largely. Is. So it does seem, I guess it might seem a little off-putting or weird for people who aren't used to that, and yeah. then they come to a service and they're like, "What's what's going on?" It is, it is. But what what kind of on the other hand, what kind of blows my mind? I'm thinking the disciples were Pentecostal. Yeah, <laughs> I mean they were in the upper room, mm -hmm. and so I'm thinking, and they or the ones who turned the world upside down through the preaching, the gospel, through moving in the gifts of the Spirit, and, and the church grew daily. Mm -hmm. The church grew daily. Yeah. Because they were filled with the power to be a witness to spread this gospel. And so, I listen, I, I, don't, I don't try to knock any church. Really, I don't. Um, I just happen to be Pentecostal. and But I, when I look in the Bible... Those guys, the disciples, like I said, were Pentecostal. The church grew daily because they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and and they moved like that. And uh, so, you know, and we've got a bad rap over the years, man. I got I got friends, I got pastor friends who are Baptists. Went mm -hmm. to school with them, yeah. And and uh, we played ball together, and they would, didn't think they was ever going to be a pastor. I didn't think I was ever going to be a pastor, and and um, I happened to be a Pentecostal preacher and they're a Baptist preacher and, and we, we, we like to cut up joke kind of like you know you and your friend do right. uh, and uh, and uh, you know I, I, I've heard it all I've heard it all when it comes to Pentecost yeah. gotcha <laughs> yeah but I think that answer gives a good kind of opens the gate a little bit lets people see from your side yeah. what that is and the representation of it so I think that's a good introductory answer yeah mm -hmm. So another uh, kind of controversial big question is um, how do you handle controversies such as Kenneth Copeland blowing away COVID or televan uh, televangelist scams? To many people, this, uh, this, this kind of makes Christianity look a little crazy, mm -hmm. um, but they're in the same part of the family tree as you. So how do you shepherd your flock from the quote unquote bad Pentecostals? Yeah. Well, you know. Like I say, I, I try not to talk about any other ministries. It uh, it don't never do you good to try to, you know, bash anybody. Um, I don't always agree. Just like, you know, when you see things like that, I just, I mean, I have an opinion. <laughs> I really do. And... Um, and I, I really haven't had anybody to um, ask me about it in my church. Oh, really? I saw the video. 
Uh-huh. And then I saw the different uh, videos of people um, putting it to, you know, how they edit it and and basically make fun of it. And um, I mean, you know, and I watched it and and I just shook my head. And uh, but if someone were to ask me that, I would tell them um, they they are. <laughs> this, this is a hard question. <laughs> The, the the fellow you mentioned he's not he's not in our denomination he's a, a different um he's a different Pentecostal mm-hmm. I mean that's about all I could say yeah um from a different uh, denomination um and so we don't believe that same way you, gotcha. I mean you understand I mean I understand the principle of what he was trying to do for his um you know having faith you know and i understand that that part but um man it it really um didn't go over well right yeah and uh so i mean if i was talking one-on-one with my you know congregate you know uh, i would uh, i would probably go into more detail and try to explain some different things yeah you know, to them yeah. And try to shepherd them one on one. If they had a problem with it, if they were really concerned about it, but you know, most people in my church, they've been in it long enough. They they know when something's right and when they feel it not gotcha. so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I, I appreciate that because a lot of um, a lot of Christians, even leaders, will uh, not hesitate to to commentate on other groups. Yeah. And I've seen that too. And I've seen them. Um, and, and if, and if you wasn't asking me a pointed question, I wouldn't even be talking about it. Right. And, um, um, you know, but I have heard some just, you know, of every, of every denomination, every, I'm thinking to myself, man, we are, we are supposed to be on the same team working together mm-hmm. to build the kingdom, the kingdom of God. You know what I'm saying? And um, and so it's um, it, you know it, it shouldn't be done, um, but there again, when you see something and you don't feel right, what do you do? You know, as a Christian, I I, I don't want to uh, talk about other ministries, but uh, if it's if I feel like it's not right, I would I would talk to my. My people, one if they one. came to me, yeah, right. one, one on one, gotcha. try to do it like that. Okay. Alrighty. To follow up that pointed question, according to your traditional theological, your traditions theological perspective, what must one do to be saved? Well, first of all, I believe that you got to believe in God, and I believe you got to be, believe in His Son. Um, you got to believe that God loved you so much that he gave his son to die for you. And I believe that you got to believe that Jesus uh, loves you so much that he laid down his life for you. I mean, it's all about believing, you know, because the Bible says, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes should not perish but have everlasting life. No greater love hath any man than this, than for a man to lay down his life for his friends. This is Jesus. And then the Bible tells us in Romans 10, 
if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you shall be saved. And so, you know, you just got to believe that you need a Savior. Um, and, uh, and I know that this question goes into some other ones that you, you probably will ask, but uh, the Bible said all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I believe that um, repentance is necessary for the forgiveness of sin. And repentance is a 180-degree turn. It's an about face. It's a change of mind. It's, look, I'm going down the wrong road. I need a Savior. Um, can't work my way into heaven. It's all because of his love, his grace, his mercy. And, um, and he'll save you when you accept his sacrifice. Uh, that he gave, you know, to the whole world, basically. And then he'll write your name in the Lamb's book of life, his book, because he is the Lamb. And um, according to Luke 10 and 20, you'll have a reason to rejoice just because your name is written down in heaven. Gotcha. So what is the role and nuance between faith and works and one's faith journey? Well, that, that's, that's, that's a good question. I mean, you can't work your way to heaven. You, you, you can't be good enough. You can't be good enough. Um, I mean, I just said it. All have sinned and come short. And, and, and um, you, you know, there's some good people in the world. But without Jesus, they're still lost. Still lost. Uh, still not saved and and you can't work your way to heaven it's it's through faith believing in him even and faith is is something you can't see you know faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen i've never seen jesus but i believe in him and the reason i believe in him is because i believe in the word of god and the bible says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of god so i believe it and, and I believe what he, he's done for me. And so um, it's all in faith and grace. But I, and I probably shouldn't even bring this up, but I, I don't believe that um, grace should be sloppy. You know, oh, I got saved. I can go do anything I want to. You know, I, I, don't, I don't read that in the word. You know, um, I believe that, um, I believe there's a, there's a, a death to the old man, to the old man, and there's life to the new man. And when we baptize people in water, that's a representation of basically uh, what has taken place in a Christian's life. You you go down in the water, basically being submerged, death, and then you're resurrected into life, and it's being raised to life, and it's a it's a you know. Jesus command, you know, when you save and be baptized in water, the water don't, don't save you, you know, but it's a public announcement of something that's taking place on the inward, your heart on the inside, you know, um, he saved me, he washed me. Um, I'm not good enough to go to heaven. Wasn't good enough. Can't work my way to heaven. Of course, then the Bible said faith without works is dead. So I believe when you got faith, you'll go to work for the Lord Jesus. Gotcha. 
All right. So what does sin do to people? <laughs> this, this might sound bad, but it kills them. The Bible said the wages of sin is death. You work a job, at the end of the week, you get your wages for what you've done all week. And the Bible said the wages of sin is death. So that's what sin all week long, all month long, all year long, all lifetime long, at the end, there's a payday. And that sin, the wages is death. I mean, it. it I don't know how to say it any other way, but it kills you. <laughs> gotcha. So, like, I guess in a spiritual sense, mm-hmm. when someone is sinning, obviously in some way that's killing them. But what is what is... Obviously, you don't want people to go around sinning. Mm-hmm. So, what what is the effect of sin on people? I don't know, I don't I don't know how to phrase it. Kind of like in a practical sense, like what does it do to you? Obviously, it kills you. Mm-hmm. But is there anything else to that? Well, I mean, it's a slow process. Um, you know, I, I've watched sin age people. Um, I, I've I've watched sin ruin people's lives um and you know i could get into specifics but just you know just and i know that the church sometimes harps on this and i'm not harping but just for an easy example um i've I've watched alcohol absolutely destroy people's life um anything that you get addicted to you know whether it be drugs or you know, something that takes you down, that, that tears up a family, you know, um, there's just so much, but then I've watched, I've watched God save people like that and, and they actually get delivered. I mean, delivered from being an alcoholic to not being one anymore. And I know people say, well, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic, but if God gets involved, it's not necessarily so. I mean, he can deliver you from that, deliver you from drugs, deliver you from, um, you know, things that will just take you down and 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 turn your life around. I've I've watched that in people's life, and it it is a man, it is a great thing to see, and it, and it's a, a, a rewarding, um, you know, experience just to see see that. But uh, yeah, seeing man, it uh, it it, it uh, I've always heard it. How's it go? It'll uh, take you farther than you want to go, keep you keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. You ever heard that? The uh, Pastor Mark actually said exactly <laughs> that when we asked him that. So, That's the old yeah. saying, but I mean that thing. I don't know who come up with it, but man, it uh, is is it's the truth. Gotcha. How do you view the Lord's Supper, and what implications does that view hold? Well. When I think of the Lord's Supper, I go all the way back to um, in Exodus when Moses, you know, he was going through the different plagues and, and God finally said, okay, Moses, got one more. This is it. He said, take a male lamb without spot or blemish, kill it, take the blood, put it in a bowl, and... Uh, take some hyssop and strike the lentils on the doorpost and get inside the house. 
and that blood covering from that lamb, that sacrificial lamb kept them safe. And he said, and partake of the lamb. And so they ate of the lamb. And so Jesus is the lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. Matter of fact, John the Baptist said, behold, the lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. And so when Jesus took his uh, disciples in, in the upper room, uh, right before the Passover or, or to celebrate the Passover, he, uh, he took, you know, the bread and he broke it, blessed it. And he gave it to them and he told them, he said, take, eat, this is my body. And then he took the blood or the juice or the wine and he said, take, drink, this is my blood. And he said, and when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And basically it is partaking of Jesus Christ. And, and then Paul even says, um, when you do this, don't do it unworthily. In other words, it's not something to take, be taken lightly, but let a man examine himself. Examine himself, examine his heart, examine his life, pray, talk to the Father, talk to Jesus, ask, you know, is there anything in my life I'm pleasing to you right now? If so, forgive me. I want to make sure that I can take this worthily. You know, and uh, he said, and some have taken it unworthily. Paul said this, and now they are asleep. And he didn't mean they were taking a, a rest. They had died simply because they had taken it unworthy, unworthily. And that's what Paul said. So um, I believe that it is a sacred uh, time uh, in the church or wherever you do it. He says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So, I mean, whether it's every day, every other day, once a week, once a month, you know, at Easter, at Christmas, just whenever it, it should be observed, it should, uh, people should examine themselves and know that when they're doing that, it, it represents you are partaking of Jesus. I mean, you are doing this. In John 6, 6, 6, it's crazy, John 6, verse 66, he said, eat my body, drink my blood. And the Bible said that some turned away because it seemed, I mean, you know, it just seemed kind of strange to them. And so they turned and they walked away. And uh, so, but I, I do believe that, um, that it should be observed in the Christian church, Protestant church. You know, if you're a Christian, if you are saved, if you're washed, um, in his blood, you know, you need to partake of him gotcha. and, and everything. So, so is it, uh, I guess I'm trying to read between the lines here. I assume it's, it's kind of meant to be like a symbolic thing, symbolic reminder. Yeah. Kind of like baptism. Okay. You know, in water. Um, and, um, it's a sacrament, you know? And, um, so yeah, I mean, we, we do that, but, but, uh, we also wash saints feet. Because, I mean, that's what he did right after that, after supper. Okay. He laid aside his garment, girded himself with a towel, and he went about washing their feet. Hmm. And he was teaching them how to be a servant. So you guys do that here? Yeah. Hmm. I think the only other Christian group I knew of that knew, that did that was like the Seventh-day Adventists. Really? 
I didn't know there were. Yeah. Now, I mean, we don't do it actually in a church service. We normally uh, separate women and the men. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Right. And the men wash men's feet, women wash women's feet. Gotcha. Yeah. But, I mean, it's a humbling experience. There's one thing I found out. You can't have all in your heart against someone and get down on your knees in front of somebody and wash their feet. Yeah. You know, and, um, man, I've seen some powerful moves of God in a foot washing service. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah I. That's one thing that I, with my experience with Christianity, it's not something I knew about, so something new to me. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, and to follow up that question, if God is truly omniscient, do we really have free will? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Uh, he's all-knowing. He's all-knowing. and But he don't make anyone get saved. He don't make anyone serve him or fall in love with him. It is free will. He lays it out there because he is a, a righteous God. If if he did it any other way, he would be a tyrant. You know what I'm saying? If he made you, you know. Of course, him being all-knowing, he knows whether you're going to get saved or not. He already knows that. Um, and, man, that's powerful because nobody else knows if you're going to get saved. You don't even know if you're going to get saved uh, and serve the Lord. But he does because he is all-knowing from beginning to end, end to the beginning. And so, uh, but yeah, he gives you that free that free will. Um, and that's, that's how he really knows that if, you know, you love him or not because, you know, if you was made, it's just like a king, you know. You made the bow. The king's sitting there looking around. He don't know who is really for him or who, who's not. He made them. He's a tyrant. He made them do it. But God's not like that. He He gives us that free will. Gotcha. So last week we were actually um, interviewing a Presbyterian pastor, and they are technically Calvinist in their theology. Mm-hmm. So I they, one of the things they mentioned, uh, Pastor Trent mentioned, was when we were talking. We were talking about tulip and uh, the the doctrine of irresistible grace. Are you familiar with that? Basically, it's the idea that um, since God is in control of everything, um, essentially, if he wants something to happen, if he wants someone to be saved, Mm -hmm. then they will be saved because God's grace is irresistible. Mm -hmm. And so I I guess kind of what you were saying is you would not hold to something like God influencing somebody to do something in that way. Well, I, I don't want to put you on the spot. Well, I mean, the Bible said all things work together for good of them that love the Lord. And so I've watched um, things happen in people's life uh, that didn't seem so good, but but it was taking them down a certain road. And I think God leads us. I do believe that. And I believe that if, I mean, Obviously, God's all powerful, all knowing. You know, if He's all present, if if He if He wanted you to be saved, if He said, you know, this this person right here is um, can be a great asset to the kingdom. I believe that He could uh, 
with his power and his love and his grace. He could he could cause that to happen, but I believe that he he causes that to happen in everybody's life. He gives us the choice. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But so he kind of sets it up in such a way that you would freely choose it, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, but I believe that, uh, but he would already know it, right? You know, he he, yeah. he would already know it's it. It's complicated. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah, kind, it kind of really like is. your mom calling you to come in the house, and she knows you're about to come in that house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you have the choice to yeah. go in the house, right? Yeah, that's right. All righty, and to follow that one up, especially in the modern climate that we live in. Do you think religion and science are at odds? I, I don't. I mean, um, because God created everything, and I believe um, I believe some science is wrong. Evolution. I believe somebody missed it because <laughs> um, I believe that God created. I mean, he's the creator. He created this earth, everything in it, um, he created man out of the dust of the ground, breathed life into his nostrils. He became a living soul. Um, so, so I believe that he is the creator of science. I just believe that, you know, I don't believe in everything that every person says about science. But, uh, man, there's been studies in Genesis and uh, of, um, and they've proven proven things and 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 through science. You know what I'm saying? And uh, so uh, I'm a believer of God and his word, and uh, I'm a believer of science, but not all science. <laughs> gotcha. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I forget what I was going to say. I think that question really comes up due to their, and I've noticed this more in kind of the less mainstream, more underground culture that is surrounding certain types of Christians or Mm -hmm. people. I don't even want to call them Christians because they're way more cults, Mm -hmm. but there's a large anti-intellectual movement coming forward. Mm -hmm. And that's the one thing I couldn't understand with them was their take on being anti-intellectual, even though if God created everything, he gave you the, viewpoint to look into it and to do your research yeah. and to be able to explain everything he's given. Mm-hmm. I remember what I was going to say, because uh, you were talking about basically how um, God created science, essentially. I mean, if you look historically, a lot of the the scientists during the scientific revolution were all Christian of one form or another. Yeah. yeah. And the church was a institution, a intellectual institution at the time yeah and it brought forth a lot of art science and everything and so that's i guess kind of one of the modern things that makes me just sit back and have to think yeah, yeah. and the church has uh, backed out of a lot of things um there there i i know there's a book that it called it's called uh, seven mountains of influence that the church has really backed out of, and I think one of them uh, is on here, politics, arts, um, media, because we should be the ones who are influencing. I, I mean, I believe that. Um, and, uh, and, the, and the church got so 
I, I guess, you know, narrow focus on trying to save people and, and so focused on trying to get away from the world. Because the Bible says come out from among them, be separate, says the Lord, instead of trying to influence them. And like Paul, he was such a, a powerful influencer. I mean, he had the Spirit of God on him so strong, he could get around sinners, and, and they would they would absolutely get under conviction. Jesus, same way. I mean, you know, he, he had such an influence on people. And the Bible said he hung out with sinners and, and publicans. And, and, and I mean, uh, man, he, he, he just drew them to him. To him. And, um, and so the church is, I, I believe the church needs to have a bigger impact um, on this world that we live in. Gotcha. Yeah, that, that was kind of tying into the next question, uh, which is, uh, in your opinion, how should Christians interact with politics? Well, the thing about this is this country, I believe it was founded on the Word of God. I, I, I really do. I believe that's why God has blessed um, America. Uh, I, I really do. It wasn't founded on the old dollar, you know. I mean, if you, if you read, you know, constitution and things of this nature and you look at some of the guys you know back in that time you know and, and the 1700s when they were this country was founded and they got together they were a lot of them were christians and and um and their beliefs you know and now you look today um and it's it, it, it seemed like a big difference and and i think that i think the church should be heavily involved in politics because Bottom line is the church is going to rule the world at the end. Jesus is coming back, and we're going to. There's going to be a seven-year supper, marriage supper of the Lamb, and then he's going to come back and he's going to smite the nations with the two-edged sword that comes out of his mouth. And we're, the Bible said we're going to rule and reign with him for a thousand years. And so, um, yeah, I, I believe that the church should be heavily involved in politics somewhere along the line. Uh, I think it got to the place where if a pastor stood up in his pulpit and said anything about that, then you would lose, uh, you know, your tax, tax exemption or something. I don't know. Uh, but, but, uh, you know, the enemy has always tried to put fear but um, you're going to stand up and preach the word and preach what's right and preach the gospel. I think you ought to tell it like it is. And I, I believe that when a Christian goes to vote, they need to vote on the candidate that is is uh, closely related to uh, their agenda being based by the word of God. Gotcha. And not, well, I ain't going to use that word. I almost said a word that would <laughs> throw throw me probably over in the, um, into a, a frenzy with people. But, but it, I mean, it, it just, uh, it needs to be based on the word, I think, you know, mm -hmm. uh, um, the candidate that you vote for. Gotcha. Now I've had some, uh, I've had some preachers tell me, they said, man, I, I preached one time and I told them if you voted for this person, you'll stand before God and take an account. I'm like, but they didn't go. <laughs> to the place where they just didn't care no more. I mean, they just would tell it straight, you mm -hmm. know, in their opinion. Yeah. 
So, um, kind of related to that is, uh, what is one general thing that you think Christians in America should work on? I believe, uh, sharing the gospel. Uh, I believe that, um, I believe that, uh, it, it's to the place where we, we, uh, Christians have become scared to actually share the gospel, um, and to show the love of God. Um, shouldn't be condemnation, you know, shouldn't be, you know, fire and brimstone, you're going to hell, you didn't comb your hair right, you didn't do, you know, none of that. It should be showing the love of God. Uh, it should be uh, sharing the gospel. I mean, it's the good news. That's what gospel means, the good news. Mm -hmm. And so we should be, uh, the church in America, we should be sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And uh, the Bible, Jesus even tells us, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. And, um, and he who believes, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Ghost. And so, yeah, that's what I believe the church should be doing um, in this present day. Really, really showing the love of God and um, not pointing a finger and not uh, bashing people over the head but um but not backing down at the same time right yeah okay all right well i think um as we're wrapping up for this last question um what would be the process of becoming a member of your church well i the first thing is you you need to be saved except the lord jesus is your personal lord and savior i mean that's first and foremost um and then you know We've got several different things uh, that we do. We have a, when you come into the church and, you know, you get saved, then we, you know, we want to talk to you. Obviously, we want to get you involved. Um, uh, we have different classes. One class we have is called Jumpstart mm -hmm. in our church. And it's, and it's a uh, no, grow, go. A no path, a grow path, and a go path. You come in, you'll know who we are. You know, we want to tell you who we are. We want to tell you what we believe. You know, we want to tell you all the things I told you about the government of our church and and how this church was founded, you know, in 1886. And, and then how basically in 1896, 10 years later, the baptism of the Holy Ghost was introduced at a little place called Barney Creek, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. uh, and then... And then um, we want to tell you, you know, that we are Church of God and we do have government and we do uh, what what our beliefs are. We have de 14 declarations of faith. We want to teach you that and, and just let you know and give you the choice. Hey, is this what you want to be a part of? And then we also believe that if you're going to be a member, then you need to support the church with your time, your talents, and your temporal means. In other words, tithing. Tithing means 10% and, you know, giving them offering. Um, but, but we understand where you're at, you know, I mean, some people come in and they might be, um, financially strapped in, in, at that moment. But we, what I normally tell people is, is, um, the Bible says, prove God, prove him, try it. And I tell them, I said, listen, I said, pay your tithe. And at the end of the month, if you if you don't have enough, I'll give it back to you. Just 
and and I've <laughs> and I've watched it, man. God has just started blessing people, and they like they didn't understand why they wasn't empty at the end of the month. Uh, it's a it's a principle. It's not an Old Testament uh, law. It's a principle that took place 500 years before the Old Testament law came about. A man of faith, Abraham, was a man of faith, paid tithe to a to a priest called Melchizedek, one just like Jesus. And uh, I've watched in my own life. When I got saved, I, I just believed, you know, what the Bible said, and I just started doing it. At 16, it was easy for me. I just got a job, and I was living at home, didn't have no bills, so it was easy for me to start. But I did at 10%, and, man, I've watched God bless me. I'm not a rich man, but I'm blessed. I've watched it, man. I, I've watched it, it, it. He says, prove me. See if I won't pour out a blessing on you. You're not able to contain. And and so I, I mentioned that because I knew that just as soon as I said, for you to be a member, you need you, you come through the jump start. Nobody has a problem with that. This is what we believe, you know. But when I said, you know, you need to support the church with your time, your talent, and your tithe, but most people don't hear the thing about time and talent. But when you do, when you talk about somebody's money, yeah. whoo, then, then they go, their ears perk up. But anyhow, uh, we believe that you should, if you're going to come in, that you should support the church and and follow the leading of the the pastoral staff as you see us follow Jesus then follow us I mean there's got to be leadership you know and then uh, man just after that just join the church I mean it's uh, yeah come on into the body and uh, and you know I mean if you're going to be at odds why why try to join if you, you're going to come in and you don't believe then, then why join you know what I'm saying right yeah. so you get saved that's, that's the initial thing come on in how you like it so far? You want to go through our jumpstart class? We're gonna, you know, show you who we are. Mm -hmm. We're gonna let you grow. We give them, we give them personal uh, assessment test. In other words, spirituality test. There's, there's, there's all kind of tests. You, you know, you give them and they, and they fill it out, and it pretty much shows, you know, where your giftings are. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And then, uh, then after that is a go path. We, we show you different places. Hey, this is where you can get involved. And we know if people get involved, you know, they become, it's like a community. It's like fellowship. It's like we, you know, man, I like these people. I like, I like what we're doing here. I like this group. I like this class. You know, I like doing what I do. I'm a greeter. I smile at the people and I greet them when they come in mm -hmm. or, you know, I'm, I, I'm a usher or, you know, I'm an altar worker or, Hey, God's given me the ability to teach a class. You know, of course that that usually takes some time before right. you get involved in that. But so it's a no grow, go path. Gotcha. I like how you guys have like a way of connecting people to something that would be kind of like a ministry. Yeah. Because a lot of times it's like for me, I'm like, well, I kind of want to do something. I don't know what to do. Yeah. But I think that's that's cool. You yeah. That. Well, you know, when I got guys like like you come in, I, I can tell you technical. I mean, I'm sitting here in front of a microphone, you know yeah. what I'm saying, uh -huh. in my own office. Yeah. This is the first time a microphone's ever been in this office <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that I know of. And and so, so you know, I, I think, man, this guy probably be good in the sound, soundboard, you know, or the video. I mean, man, we've got, we've got uh, environmental projection. Do you know what that is? 
I mean, was it the the big old projector thing? Oh yeah, we or? got we got three of them. It shines on the screens. It shines on the wall. Okay. And you can, man, if I'm preaching on Jesus on the cross, they can actually pull that up and be across the whole back wall. Okay. Then we got the other projectors that that actually put up there what I'm preaching on my outline, mm -hmm. and um, of course we got different lights and. Um, and uh, just we got cameras. We got four cameras now, so we can do online. And I'm glad we had it because during this pandemic, we were able to just transition straight into that, mm -hmm. you know. And um, and we didn't have to scuff and try to find cameras and try to do that so we could, you know, get it to people in their homes. Um, so uh, yeah, and I and I don't understand at all. But I'm thankful for the young people because they do. <laughs> I mean, I'll take and hand my phone to one of my young and I go, fix this for me, you know, and, and they go, boop, 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 and it's fixed. Yeah. And, and, and I know that they have that talent. And, and I watch people when they come in and, and you can, you know, of course, if you give them that assessment test and they, and they want to take it and they, you know, they give it back to you, you can see where their, their talent is a lot of times. Gotcha. Get them involved. And to me, one thing I'd like to see is it seems very, inclusive instead of there's not like a firm we're keeping things this way we don't want to bring anybody new and it seems very much you want to bring them in yeah you want them to fill a part of a community yeah. and a gathering instead of just someone going to church That's right. one of the things we we say and i know um, we even put on our sign you belong here you belong here we're better together and so, and, and that's why we believe in church come, you know, actually the church building coming together, but it, you know, the church is not the church building, but this is where we gather. The people make up the church and, and we are better together and we're not isolated. And, um, you know, uh, many hands make work much easier. Yeah. Yeah. And so we come together and we love God. We love people. And we serve others. All right. You have any other questions? I think that's it. And I think that kind of ties everything up nicely. Yeah. Especially tying it back to question number two there. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, thank you for sitting down and doing the interview. You're welcome. to answer a lot of questions. So yeah. um, next time we're going to be attending your church. Okay. We're going to be thinking about it. And we'll talk about that next time. So, yeah. It's been real. It's been fun. It's been real fun. My pleasure. All right. Thank you. All right. See you guys next time.